murder lovers, this is Fatina. And this is Kara. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Hey everyone, so today I have my beautiful wife Kara recording with me. Mackenzie couldn't make it. Hey everyone, I am happy to be here. She says that, but she doesn't love true crime as much as we do, so this is kind of an interesting take. She's she's guest hosted before, um, and I had to quickly switch up what I was doing um, to have her record with me, just because the next case is going to be crazy, but... Today, we're doing a case that's a little more Kara-friendly. Because I'm a lightweight, guys. She is super lightweight. So, no cannibalism, no children, no animals. Um, Just I mean, cannibalism, but just... Yeah, cannibalism. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, she heard what I was researching prior to this one, and she's like, is that what we're recording together? And I was like, no, (laughs) not with you. I know you couldn't take it. So I have some rules, guys. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you're not a a complete true crime novice, though, right? Oh, definitely not. The reason I don't like it is because I know so much about it. Right. So in true crime news uh, today couple things i want to recommend a show to you guys that if you haven't been watching this i hope you go take a look it's on hulu it's called big sky and it takes place in montana it's a thriller type of uh show it i think the whole first season is out now i just finished the last couple episodes last night again it's on hulu big sky I think it's really interesting. Lots of twists and turns. So it's um, definitely keeps you on the edge of your seat. And then as far as actual true crime news. Oh, wait, hold on. Big Sky, they tease you with Ryan Phillippe. (laughs) Yeah. It is crazy. Yeah, it's lots of... Like insane crazy. Lots of stuff going on in there. And And like I said, in actual true crime news... Just recently, on March 10th, the Georgia Sheriff has officially reopened the case of Kendrick Johnson. And unfortunately, the most known piece of information or, you know, the piece that sticks out from this case, it's he's the 17 year old kid that was found in the gym mats at his high school. So very obvious that there's foul play. And it wasn't an accidental type of situation. So finally, the Georgia Sheriff has officially reopened that case. Someday I hope to cover this. We usually tend to cover things that are solved or things that have come to some kind of conclusion. We have some answers to. So I am really happy that this is back on the docket and that hopefully we'll get some answers for this soon because that kid definitely deserves some justice. Yeah, it takes some gusto to roll somebody up oh in one of those. Goodness, to, I, I mean, don't. Yeah, I don't even think that's a one-person job type of thing. No, I don't think so. I mean, it would be, it, it could be done, but it would be difficult for one person. Yeah. So with that, I with no further ado, I will just start talking about our case today. So today, we're going back across the pond. Going back to the UK, I don't know what it is, but these cases keep finding me. London, baby. Uh, Right? So we are going to Bristol, a small town of Bristol, and this is the case of Becky Watts. So Becky Watts was born on June 3rd, 1998, 
And this is a case that takes place in 2015. So very young at the ripe age of 16, this is when this murder takes place. And 16-year-old Becky, her full name, of course, is Rebecca, but commonly referred to as Becky. She is a teenager who unfortunately succumbed to the bullies in school and had some eating disorders and had some problems with that and just self-confidence, etc. But she was seeking some help. She was seeing some child psychologists that were helping her through that. She lived with her father and her stepmother, and she did have an older brother with from her dad. And, and her stepmother also had children from a previous marriage, one of them being a brother that was 10 years older named Nathan Matthews. So she had a, you know, rough go at the beginning of her life being bullied through, through school and whatnot, but things were starting to look up. She was getting the help that she needed. She was seeing people that were helping her, you know, through this rough patch. And on this very unfaithful day uh, of February 19th, 2015, this is when Becky Watts seemed to have just disappeared into thin air. So leading up to this, her stepmother, Angie, had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So she often had to go and go to doctor's appointments. And on the 18th, Becky had spent the night with one of her friends after going to a school function. She returned on the morning of the 19th at around 830 in the morning. And her stepmother, Angie had left for a doctor's appointment at around 11, 11.30 in the morning. Once Angie returned from her doctor's appointment a little close to 1 p.m., Becky wasn't there. It wasn't too far-fetched that maybe she just went to a friend's house, mm-hmm. went back to the friends that she had spent the night at just because, you know, it was this was the normal thing for her to do kind of thing. Later on that evening... Her boyfriend showed up because his text had been unanswered. Um, again, she was 16, so she had a 17-year-old boyfriend. It was This was after a couple of texts. He had had a doctor, uh, dentist appointment earlier that morning, and you know they had plans to meet up, and then she never showed up, never texted back. Mm, okay. And she had also was completely absent in social media, which... You know, sometimes phones die or people get busy, etc. But for a 16-year-old girl, and people knew that this was normal for her to do, she wasn't posting stuff, she wasn't on Snapchat, all those things. Mm. So friends started wondering where she was. And it wasn't until the next day on the 20th when friends came over to the house and were like, hey, have you guys, you know, have you seen Becky? And that's when Angie became worried. She was like, wait, she's not with any one of you guys? She's not here. And that's when Angie called Becky's dad, who was at work. He left work early. And by 4 p.m., they called the police and they had reported her missing. Mm-hmm. Had she been missing tw- 24 hours? Well, yeah, I guess she'd been yeah. missing 24 hours. So she'd been missing 24 hours at that point. These were the crucial hours, of course. We know this just because the first 24, the first 20, uh, you know, first 48 hours, that's the when the first most... 48. Yeah, yeah. The first 48. <laughs> that's when the most crucial evidence can be found or just when stuff is fresh and you can, you know, track leads down. But her parents reported her missing. The police were, 
searching, started searching. They put groups together to start searching the area. Of course, her parents were adamant that this was completely out of character for her, that she wouldn't just up and leave. Her laptop, her purse was missing, and her phone, but none of her clothes. Her makeup bag was still there. She was really into makeup. With those things missing, they thought maybe she did up and leave, right? Yeah. So her parents... in a hurry. Yeah, in a hurry of sorts. So her parents started doing some pleas to the public. They started asking... They went about it two different ways. If someone has her, please return her. Let us talk to our daughter if she's been kidnapped. And then the second point of view that they had was... If you did run away, come back. You're not in trouble. Yeah. We want to make sure that you're Just safe. come back. Just come back. Or if someone's helping her run away, please have her contact us to at least make sure that she's okay. If she's you know, a if child. Someone's, yeah. Exactly. She's 16 years old. So Becky um, had no history of ever running away. And, you know, the boyfriend was right there in the search for her so it's not like her and the boyfriend ran away together so they start trying to talk to the entire family mom dad uh her birth mother everyone that may have known becky and her last known whereabouts just to get an idea of maybe where she was at in her head or maybe if you know just dig up information get an idea for the whole case yeah people saw her regularly exactly So at this point, she's just a missing person, a missing teenager. There is no suspicion of any foul play at this point, at the very early hours. Mind you, they are a little late to the game just because they didn't report her missing till they knew that she was missing, which was a little bit later than usual. So some of the people that they wanted to interview were, of course, her stepbrother and his girlfriend, Nathan Matthews and Shauna Hoare. And that's H-O-A-R-E. <laughs> okay. I'll try and refer to them as first names just because I will get the giggles if I have to say her name, her last name, whore yes. over and over. Okay. So they took their sweet time getting over to the police station to talk to the cops. And mind you, this was just a getting to know everyone, getting, you know, did you see Shauna type of questions, not what did you do? This is not an interrogation. Exactly. They're gathering intelligence. So they took their sweet time and this did not sit well with the police. Like, why, why couldn't you just come down? You know, this is a serious thing. Your family, your sister's missing. A 16 year old is missing. Mm -hmm. So they, they come down and we come to find out that Shauna and Nathan, they they live together, their boyfriend and girlfriend. They only live a couple of miles away, like two miles away from Angie and Becky's dad. Okay. So they live really uh, close by. The day that she went missing, Nathan had asked his mother, Angie, to leave a key under the mat. He was going to come over just because he wanted to come see his mom, you know, after she had had her appointment or whatever. Oh, sure. And so the mom had left the key and they showed up after Angie had left for her doctor's appointment that morning. So somewhere between the time that Angie had left her appointment and by the time she came back, that's the specific timeline of Becky gone missing. 
Just coincidentally them coincidentally. showing up. So when they get to the police station, they completely confirm that they were at the house. And that while they were at the house, they heard some stomping and they heard a door slam. And they're telling the police that they think that this is Becky, again, throwing one of her tantrums, leaving in a hurry. Yeah. Okay? So, their story, though, is exactly the same. There is no deviation from story to story. From, I heard footsteps, I heard heavy stomps, to I heard the door slam. I heard three stomps, and it was odd. It was odd, it was just too common collected for like, the situation. No two people will say the same, even the same event, the right. same way. There's going to be, just, just the way the mind works, if you have two people witness the same event, they're going to tell just factual things wrong. Just because just the memory works. So this immediately piqued the officer's interest because they're like, why are they, why do they have a story? Why, why are they telling this to us? Almost like it's an alibi, like, we were there, but she left. Mm-hmm. So Angie, you know, now we know that Angie came home and they stuck around for a little bit and then they left back to their apartment. The investigation continued. So I'm going to stop beating around the bush here. Now we know that what Nathan did was attack Becky at her home. Oh, gosh. Okay. Killed her. Reason of death was suffocation or asphyxiation. Oh, poor girl. Put her in the trunk of the car. So while Angie came home, Becky was in the trunk of the car. Oh. And then Nathan and Shauna left to their apartment. Becky was brought up to the bathroom upstairs. They played a game of Monopoly. They ordered food and hung out. He called into work that night. He worked for Domino's as a pizza delivery guy and he called out of work and they spent the night hanging out while Shauna was in the bathtub upstairs, already passed away. Yeah. That night. Fun. Celebration. crazy, crazy course of events. So from there, the next day, now we know that Nathan went to their local hardware store. I think it's called B&Q there. Here in the U.S., we have something obviously like it, like Home Depot. Yeah. And he bought a circular saw. No. Gloves, protective eyewear, and... Like, get it off Craigslist, or like, if there's like a U.K. Craigslist. If you're going to try like, and get away with murder, do that. I'm not saying do that, but... Yeah. Um, don't leave a digital trail. But they <laughs> caught him on CCTV... Um, buying all these things because oh, after they did a search warrant on their house and they found the receipt for these things. So it wasn't even something that they had to go digging for too hard. The police just saw the receipt on one of the, on one of their drawers. What like prompted them, like other than them thinking it was weird, like the same story. Like that was what it. Prompt- That's it. That's it. Oh. So they went and did, so the, one of the first things that they did beyond just interviewing everyone was go and search the the house where she lived. Mm-hmm. You know, any clues? What did she leave? What did she take? Etc. And they found some blood stains on the threshold of the door leading to Becky's room. Yeah, so these were blood spots that were at the 
foot of the door, at the, you know, hip range of the door, mm-hmm. and towards, like, the head range of the door. So, three different spots that it wouldn't be, like, oh, you cut yourself, you know, for its whatever reason. And like, and you, you grabbed you the... You grabbed the door or something. Whatever. No, these are three different locations that all have blood, and they interviewed Nathan and and Shauna again, and they kept to their same story, like, no, we... We don't know. We're hoping she can still be found. I hope she's okay. But then they did get Nathan to admit that he never had the best relationship with his sister. Uh Uh-oh. They have a 10-year gap in age, right? And Mm -hmm. their stepbrother, stepsister. But what he's saying is that he didn't like her so much not only because she's a teenager and she's getting attention, but he's saying he that she's manipulative through towards her dad and Angie, his mom, mm-hmm. and that she treats Angie really bad, and that it's not helpful for Angie because of her MS. But he doesn't like that because it's his mom. So yeah. he's saying that she doesn't like the way he doesn't like the way that she's treating Angie. There is no evidence to support that Becky mistreated Angie. Mm-hmm. I think this was a fabrication from him. This is yeah. this, there's no there's no truth behind that. That's what I think. No one has come forward and said Angie was being abusive or you know. I mean, it's a teenager. We don't know the exact order that this happened in, but she was stabbed 15 times. Post-mortem. Oh, wow. Her body was cut into eight different pieces, including decapitation. What, what, what are you... Oh, wait, hold on. So, arms, two? Arms, torso. I'm thinking... hips and knees oh yeah yeah. they put her into different boxes and suitcases filled them with kitty litter and then commissioned I don't know what another word I could use (laughs) or duped a friend down the street to let them store the suitcases and boxes in their garden shed Oh, my God. So the owners of the house where the garden shed is, or the people that were, you know, that own the garden shed, they thought, and this is what their allegation is, that they thought it was something illegal, but they were thinking more along the lines of weed. Hmm. Not a body. Yeah. That's what they're saying. I don't know that I would tell my friend, hey, will you help me hide a body in your garden shed either? So it is possible that they thought it was something not, please forgive me, not innocent like weed, but in comparison, innocent, where it's not a dead body. Well, like still, like if somebody asked me, hey, I want to leave some suitcases and boxes of cocaine (laughs) at your house. Is that a cool... Red flag. Is that fine? Like that's fine, right? Well, he was paying them for them, for storing. So they were okay with making a little money for holding some weed. That's what they thought. That's what they're saying they thought. They're shady. So 
eventually they put the pressure on Shauna and, uh, and Nathan to come clean. They didn't tell him exactly everything that they had. They didn't tell him during the interviews that they had a copy of the CCTV with them at the hardware store buying these items, but they started dropping some little things because of course they wanted them to naturally talk about it because that would be admission. Exactly. But they told them like, Hey, we found forensic evidence. We sent forensic analysts to the house. So funny to note that the first time that they went to Nathan and Shauna's apartment, and I will show you pictures of this straight up hoarders. Like you can't walk into any part of the apartment uh, like straight out of the hoarder show. That's so weird. Filled top to bottom with trash, with just disgusting things or just messy things. And they're super young. That's they're so super weird young. For young people. And they, the first time that the forensics and the cops were at, at their apartment, it was so full of clutter that they didn't even realize that there was an upstairs bathroom because it was being blocked in by so many things. Oh my gosh. And it wasn't, I mean, in that same visit, though, they eventually found that there was a bathroom. Oh, and that's where the body... That's where the body uh, had been dismembered. But what stuck out to them, like a sore thumb, was that the entire house was filled with clutter. And this bathtub in the upstairs bathroom was spotless. Yeah. (laughs) Spotless, shiny. So there had obviously been some cleanup being done. And why this one place? Why one place? Mind you, the one place in your house that should be clean should be your tub. But I mean, yeah, but <laughs> but compared to the rest of the house, there was a red flag for mm-hmm. the cops again. Like, okay, what's going on? If there was a place to do something to a body, it, it would be a bathtub. It'd be in a bathtub. So eventually, there wasn't a full admission. To this day, there wasn't a full admission. What Nathan is saying happened, he had his attorney draw up a confession letter, which was read to him by the cops. There is interrogation video of this where they're like, okay, we're going to read the statement that your lawyer put together for you. And he's 26 at this point. And he says, do I have to listen to you read it? Can I put my fingers in my ear? Oh my God. And he does. (laughs) He puts... His fingers in his ears while they read the statement. The statement that his lawyer drafted up for him was that he intended to kidnap Becky to teach her a lesson. That he wanted to basically scare her straight into being a nicer human towards his mother. And that the kidnapping went awry. He's saying that he showed up at Angie's house, knocked on her door, and that she said hello or come in or something, and he had a mask on. Oh, my gosh. And that while he was trying to hold her, that his and that she fought back, his mask fell off, and at that point he panicked because he wasn't planning on revealing to her that it was him of course, in this kidnapping plan. But he's saying he panicked, and that's when he choked her. And then stabbed her 15 times. Well, he didn't do that to his house, but he choked her, put in the boot of the car, 
Sorry. I've been reading. <laughs> hey, the boots. <laughs> Again, this is a UK case, so I've been, I've been reading everything that I've been reading. This is boot, the boot of the car. <laughs> I might just start calling my trunk a boot. I do. I, I um, want to, yeah. So he put her in the trunk of the car, and he took her to his house. Um, and that's where the dismemberment happened. This was all, you know, out of sheer panic that he didn't know what to do. He knew that he'd be in trouble. But he's admitting to it as if it were just manslaughter and not straight murder. Because, of course, if you admit to murder, you're never, ever going to get the possibility of parole. Of course, I'm sure his lawyer talked him through that, like, hey, things are pretty obvious. I mean, that's why they wrote out the statement. Right. So, but luckily, um, he had enough... Uh, I guess, decency, as much as a murderer could have, to tell them where the the body was at. Because they didn't just find it. Right. But, you know, it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All things considered. Um, because who knows if they would have actually ever found the body mm -hmm. had it not been for them saying, hey, it's at so-and-so's house in the garden shed. Well, I'm it. sure eventually the shady friends would have been like, hey, well, he's arrested. <laughs> My rent for the garden shed is due. Let me go open the boxes. Been I like, would. Um, this kitty litter isn't doing its job anymore. Ew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's not meant to be so, a forever thing. They, so they get arrested, of course, the owners of the the shed get arrested as well he gets life in prison uh with the the minimum of 36 years i believe uh they couldn't prove that shauna actually had a hand in killing her but they knew that she had to have been involved yeah right she was with him from the moment she that... was lying from the beginning too so here's the thing he protected her the entire way through. Mm -hmm. He never implicated her. He never said we. He never said she did this. He said it as if it was he acting, him acting alone. What did she say? She never admitted to anything. Yeah. So here's what we know about their twisted history. So... When Shauna and Nathan first started dating, she was 14. Oh, Nathan. He was in his early 20s. Yeah. He first brought her home. Dad was like, no, she clearly looks underage. Yeah. You cannot bring her back until I see a birth certificate, which go dad. Yeah. Because I would do the same thing. I you're like... not a 15, 16-year-old dating a 14-year-old. You know, you're a 20-something-year-old man dating a 14-year-old. So, obviously, that relationship was not approved by by his dad right away. And it wasn't until about two years later after that that he brought her home once again with her birth certificate showing that she was 16. So, it confirms that they started dating when she Ew. was 14. Yeah. So, this shows or starts to show... A pattern for him. Apparently they had a relationship where their 
sexual encounters or endeavors included including younger females in the picture. Oh, like threesomes? Like threesomes. Oh, God. And he, well, both together, they joked a lot about kidnapping younger girls to make them, and this is, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's, this is what the prosecution quoted as saying. So, quote, sexual playthings. Um, and this was discovered only afterwards with the discovery of their phones, but these were deleted messages because obviously they know that this is shit and this right. is wrong. Right. So they tried to delete those messages, but they also found in his search history that he was progressively watching more and more hardcore porn with Violence. stuff that was tagged teen. Um, and then the, I mean, the way, the, the way I read it and the way I understand it is uh, a lot of sex psychologists or psychologists in general will say that if you start watching teen porn, and mind you, this is like 18 and 19 on legal porn sites, um, it could almost serve as a gateway for younger and younger material. Um, it can most certainly lead to pedophilic ideas. So they're saying... They're saying that watching teen legal stuff is just a gateway for people to start watching younger and younger. So he started watching this more and more and then with more frequency leading up to the murder. So the prosecution on this case made a very good case that... Although the the motive is not going to be known, it can only be speculated because he's not confessing to what actually may have happened. Yeah, why or I what did we this. believe why he did this um, is that he had a sexual attraction to his stepsister, mm-hmm. and she fit the bill to the age and type of girls that he was starting to get into. Uh, at one point, Shauna was at a store and she texted him like, oh, I saw this pretty petite little girl. I almost kidnapped her and brought her home <sighs> to you. Oh, my God. And LOL. Like, it's funny. It's not funny. No, it's not so funny. Th- these were the type of messages that ultimately were brought forth in her prosecution and... They were able to prove that she, although they didn't prove guilty of murder on her, they proved guilty of manslaughter. She's and a willing participant. Yeah, and perverting the justice with the hiding the body. They don't know if she actually participated in the cutting or dismemberment of the body, but for sure the hiding, hiding of the body mm-hmm. or the disposal of the body. A lot of people believe that the brains behind the hiding of the body... Um, or the trying to hide the evidence was her. Uh, yeah, brains. Because they don't give that much credit to him. Uh, just because everyone, as far as you know, who they interview and just people that have talked about him, say that he is very short-tempered. He fires off whatever. Um, he also had a rough go. I mean, obviously comes from a couple broken homes, etc. But... Uh, he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia really 
early on in age. Mm-hmm. So he was always in pain or in some kind of medication. Um, and he just never seemed to fit in with people. So his way of controlling was in the sexual manner. That's manner. really creepy. And even Shauna said that he was, he liked that type of like choking and, you know, abusive type, quote unquote, foreplay. Sexual acts. Yeah. Right. Um, and she said that she wasn't always along for the ride on that, but that she put up with it because she loved him, all these things. If you ask me, if he started dating her when she was 14. She's a dumbass. He's grooming her. Oh, yeah. You like, know? And then so she's become to think that this is normal to some extent. Because at 14, you know, 18 by the time that this happens, and she hasn't had any other experiences and other, you know, partners, this is what she becomes to to think is normal. Where are her, her parents? So her parents, broken family. She eventually went to live with her mom who had seven other children. Oh, wow. But they moved in together as soon as she was like 14 or 15. So she was away from home at a really young age as well. Yeah. And we, the dad said that, you know, and even some of Becky's friends said that she had expressed some concerns about her brother that she said that she didn't feel safe around him. Okay. And he, that one time he play attacked her and like choked her out on the bed one time and that he touched her leg over some clothes, but still touched her leg inappropriately, what she felt was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, her dad didn't know this. So it's all stuff that's come out afterwards. Yeah. And a lot of her friend, a lot of Becky's friends also say that more recently they thought it was weird, but didn't think too much of it because, um, I mean, as far as you could see, there was nothing wrong with it. He would jump scare her a lot lately. He would just, you know, jump out from behind a door or something to scare her and Mm -hmm. he... And he just laughed and laughed after she screamed and, you know, and and he was just so elated after that moment of, you know, having jump scared fear. someone. Yeah. Yeah. Of giving someone fear. So he they said that he had been doing that a lot lately. There's speculation, of, of course, of like the why um, he's saying that it was manslaughter and that he didn't mean to do it. Do I believe that? Zero percent. Yeah. Um, and I believe the prosecution's, um, you know, way of thinking on this, that this was potentially a kidnapping that did go wrong because he wanted to keep her for longer. Did they do sexual, like, you yeah. know, did they do like a rape kit or anything? No, I don't believe that there was any. I don't know if just because of the nature of him right he did i, I believe he, that they now that he's in in prison he did admit to have putting tape over her mouth and eyes and then he repeatedly punched her face oh god all post-mortem so I that murdered him oh you know he it's just one of those people that I'm just like go take a toaster bath for all i care yeah I, you know so um, he's in prison. 
I he was he is not received well in prison just because of the nature of his crimes. Is he in the protected? Um, I don't know if he is now protective custody. No, it's like the, you know. I don't know, like the child molesters and all those. I don't know. Um, But I know that he's been attacked a couple times by other prisoners. Um, I believe one was like with a hot, something, someone spilled something really hot on him or something, something boiling. So that is the case of Becky Watts. Um, Poor girl. Poor Becky. Her father and her family, and just because the community was so vested in, in trying to find her in those early days, they were part of the, the search efforts. They searched all the woods. They searched local ponds. They did, you know, everything that you could do to search for someone that is missing, a kid that is missing. So they, because they were all part of the efforts, they also joined the family in a really big um, procession for her funeral. So... The, the entire community was involved in this case That's as far nice. as that goes. Yeah. So that is the case of Becky Watts. Oh, Becky, they'll get theirs. Yeah. They will. What Sorry. the Florida? <laughs> I'm laughing just at the title of this. So the title of this article, it's a really quick snippet. It says, Florida man turns himself in for murdering an imaginary friend. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> Says this guy clearly felt very, very guilty for murdering his imaginary friend. He went to turn himself into the police. Thing is, he was pretty intoxicated and got arrested. <laughs> Not the murder. He had a ton of drug stuff at his home along with a machine gun. Oh. <laughs> so RIP, Mr. Happy, your death was not in vain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't kill anyone. Mr. Including Happy. your imaginary friend. <laughs> yeah. Because then you don't, you won't feel the conviction to go turn yourself oh, in. Oh, that's funny. Oh, Florida, you give us so many things. All right. If you have any other What the Florida stories that you'd like to be read on here, or if you have any true crime run-ins or spooky stories. I think I'm due for a spooky story. Yeah. So shoot us an email. The email is astrangerdangerpodcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram is at astrangerdangerpodcast. And our Facebook is strangerdanger colon a true crime podcast or the group colon murder lovers. Or you can... Visit us on Twitter using at SD True Crime Pod. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye bye now. Bye, murder lovers.